This mini-sode is powered by Axbats. There's a conversation between you and the player, and it's not like you're telling him exactly what to do, and I love that. You know, a couple of years ago, as a younger coach, whenever I was just getting started, I didn't do that. It was more of a one-way conversation, and then I heard somebody tell me that it's ultimately his career, not my career, and that really put a spark into me, and I just went, man, if it's his career, then I need to help him own it. So I'm completely sold on how you and your players have a two-way dialogue. Right, and that's that's maybe the most important thing that, you know, I, I was the same way, and I think all coaches when they first start are. But finding a way to create a dialogue, finding a way to get the kids engaged into the process is the best thing you can ever do for a player because at that point, when they get engaged and when they get excited – and they're excited, uh, excited, enthusiastic about the process. Then not only does it be- make our job easier because they're trying to figure it out along with you as a coach, but they're working on it five or six or seven times a week. You know, they're not coming in once a week, twice a week, three times a week to come see and hit with you. They're doing it every day, and it becomes a part of their everyday process where. You know, I always, I always tell guys there's time, there's time that you can find all throughout the day and you'll notice the, the kids that are different, the kids that have bought in that really want it, you'll see them in non-baseball settings, right? Like they're at the mall or something and they're like going through these weird movements and it's like, those are the guys that have engaged and, and whoever they're working with or have been coached by has gotten them to a point where they can take their career to the next level because at that point they've gained ownership and they're engaged and they're involved in the process. So really you're giving them all homework and they love it. Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Once those kids get engaged, they, they're, they're always asking for more, you know, they're, they're begging for more. And that's that, even though as a coach, sometimes that can be annoying and tiresome, but at the same time, it's like, those kids get it. Those are the kids you want to work with because they, you know that they're going to work their ass off for you. You know that they're engaged in everything you're telling them to do. You, you know that they're going to do the things that you ask them to at home, uh, do at home. So that's always the ultimate goal. No, that's fantastic. And something that's helped me in the past, and I know we've got two slightly different jobs. We're both wanting to develop players and you're in the facility setting and I'm in the high school setting. But Whenever I give homework to the kids and I tell them that every time they brush their teeth, they need to either be doing dry work or arm shaping drills. And, you know, hopefully they're at least brushing their teeth twice a day in front of a mirror. So that would give them two more opportunities and a reminder to do that. And in my opinion, you'll immediately see, you know, who's doing that and who's not. Yeah. Oh, for sure. You can definitely tell the kids. So when, when kids come in, you know, to come hit, they go through, they go through a general warm up. they go through some swing prep movements. And then each kid has their own, their own dry work that they go through. And the kids that show up and just start doing their stuff and are able to get through their swing prep and their dry work without me saying anything or without me really directing them to do things or tell them, Hey, after that, you're supposed to do this or do this next. Those are the kids, you know, are doing it every day. You know, it's, 
come become part of their processes. It's became part of their everyday activities. So, so you don't necessarily have to remind the kids what you did last week or what the drills that you did were. Right, right. So those are the kids that are those are the kids that have bought in. So if we could rewind just a minute, I heard you say something earlier about the three things that you guys look for whenever they first walk into the door. So would you mind going into detail about those three things? Sure. So, and th- this is this is strictly from a mechanical standpoint, and obviously there's a lot more that goes into hitting. But when we're when we're first starting out, you know, it's we're we're initially talking about the movements they're creating and and what they're bodies are doing during the swing. So in terms of those three things, our fundamentals, and this is something that I've actually recently changed, which will be in the first update of the book, was the first fundamental is loading forward, which I kind of worked away from. And now I now I, I, I call it overlapping load. Okay, so an overlapping load, creating s- proper sequence and getting on plane. So three fundamental movements that kind of everything plays into in terms of our our swing and those three things set up our context like i was saying it starts to build a roadmap for us and as we go forward we can start to fill in all that with all the nitty-gritty stuff into those three fundamentals but i I try to keep it simple the first day essentially what we're talking about with an overlapping load is when they're loading when they're starting to get their body in a position to launch, is there a continuous movement from that load into the launching phase? So one of the biggest things I see with hitters, even at the high school and college level, is a load, a stop, and then a restart into their launch. So when you look at high-level hitters, that load and and the launch are two blended movements. It's really difficult to see exactly when one starts and when the other one um, ends. So creating that continuous movement is, is really critical, not only to uh, get our body in a good se- sequence position and create stretch and, and put our muscles in stretch positions to fi- fire explosively, uh, but it also get, creates a rhythm. It creates timing for us. A lot of hitters, when they're struggling or or just when they're hitting against pitchers want to get ready early and they want to get ready so early that they create this start and stop movement and guys will get their hands back early and then they just kind of stop and it kind of fools them into thinking they're on time with everything because there's no rhythm. There's no uh, timing mechanism that's working and flowing with the pitcher. So creating that over overlapping load, it creates timing for us. It creates rhythm for us. And then, also, it, it puts us in positions uh, to create force and create good plane. So those the overlapping load kind of leads into the next two fundamentals, which is getting sequenced where the lower half is firing, the back leg is driving the hips into rotation. When we see that, the, the, this is hard without video or without any visuals, but Definitely. You, you'll see the back leg driving the hips open. We create stretch through the middle of our body. Um, the hands are still back. The shoulders are, are slightly closed or slightly behind the pelvis. And then as we go, we start kind of firing other muscle groups in our, in our, in, in the order, right? So hips, trunk, the, uh, uh, scaps kind of start to grab. Then the arms kind of start to turn. 
then the hands and the barrel comes last. So we're trying to create that sequence to create stretch. Um, it also puts our body in a balanced position where we're creating forces in opposite directions and we're putting our body in a position to make adjustments if we need to, if we're off time or stop our swing if we have to, if it's a bad pitch. The best analogies I have of sequences from Jerry Brewer, which is thinking about it in terms of gears in a car, right? Like first, second, third, fourth gear, they all have a job, right? And first gear, first gear isn't more important than second gear, or third gear, fourth gear, just because it's first. They're all equally important. But what we really need to understand as hitters is, is the, the job and the role of each muscle group and body part and how they work together to create force, create plane, adjustability, all that stuff. XBAT has a special offer for our listeners. The XBAT Speed Trainers, powered by Driveline Baseball, are a revolutionary bat speed training system that utilizes a mix of overload and underload weighted training bats to promote bat speed, power, and precision hitting. This month, Axe released their newest training bat, the Axe Long Trainer. The Long Trainer is a 37-inch, 37-ounce training bat that helps high school, college, and pro hitters improve their bat path and increase bat speed. It comes with data-driven training programs from Driveline Baseball for in-season and off-season development. Go to axbat.com and use our code AOTC at checkout to save 10% on your purchase of Axbat training products, including all of the Axbat speed trainers and wood bats. Axbat, your fastest swing starts now. Well, most of our listeners are coaches in the team setting, and now you've been a coach in both settings, so in the private setting and in the team setting, and I'm sure you figured this out that it's really hard to do individual training in a team setting when you have like 20 or 30 guys that you're trying to work with, with limited time and space. So how did you get around those obstacles? I think it comes back to getting the kids to buy into what you're doing and giving them the freedom to kind of explore that knowledge and explore their own careers and their own development, I guess. So we try to provide early on as much knowledge firsthand. You know what I'm saying? We're, we're, we're trying to impart as much knowledge as we can. So we going over video saying, this is what we're trying to accomplish. This is how we're going to do it. And then finding ways, obviously there's, there's space limitations and uh, time limitations that you have to factor in. So with those, you almost have to give them a little bit of freedom. And that's why I like the constraint drills so much. If you use constraint drills that force them into good positions and force them to do the correct thing, and this is talking about the hitting side right now, but you can kind of allow them to do it on their own and kind of feel it out on their own. Because if you put them in a 90-degree in a position and their goal is to hit the ball as hard as they can through the middle, you don't have to sit there and watch them and say, no, oh, your hands are too high. You know, your hips need to do this because the constraint takes care of that. If they're hooking the ball or they're slicing it or they're topping it, whatever it is, it's immediately obvious to them that they need to make an adjustment. And then through trial and error, uh, they're able to fix it on their own without a coach being right on top of them. So if you have 14 guys, 15 guys, 16 guys, and you have two coaches you don't have to be on top of them all the time. So at Inspiration, we basically just had stations um, and we had 
as many metrics as we could, whether it was uh, radar guns or the bat speed, the zaps or dime connects or whatever you have. And you tell them, okay, first round through, first rotation through, this is the constraint that you're doing. This is the drill that you're doing. You try to hit the ball as hard as you can through the middle, and you're going to know it by the by the uh, reading. And you just go through, get this amount of swings, and then you move on. And we had weighted bats and all that stuff. So um, the weighted bats, the constraints, you know, the the exit speed readings and all that stuff was enough to keep them engaged and keep them working properly without coaches having to be all on top of them. And that goes for, um, you know, the driveline stuff that we did, the arm development. It's a, it's the same thing and it comes all from the same place and in creating constraints and, and adding variation to the training that doesn't force coaches to be all on top of the kids. And, uh, once they learn the system and that, and maybe that's the hardest thing for coaches is kind of let go and not feel like you have to be on top of them for everything and, and allowing a group to go do their vision stuff on their own, you know, and having another group doing driveline and having another group doing the hitting stuff that way you can maximize your time. So that's the biggest thing I think maybe for hitter or from coaches is being able to give them that freedom and trusting that, that they'll do what they need to do. For our listeners who don't know what constraint training is, I think you're basically taking the Bernstein principle, which is allowing your body to organize itself based upon the movements that you're applying. So you're putting them in these constraint drills that are basically sink or swim, and they either get positive feedback or negative feedback with every swing they take. So what you're really trying to do is to get them to feel what you're wanting them to feel. Is that accurate? Yeah, I mean that's pretty much it. It's 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 trial and error and it's them trying to figure out how to accomplish the task at hand from that constraint and when they do that and are able to feel the differences, those changes that they make in their body are much more sticky than any cue I could give a hitter. So, when they learn it by trial and error and through just pure figuring it out, those are much more lasting changes and much more impactful on them. Whereas if I tell a kid, all right, your hands, they need to get back a little bit earlier. It may work for a swing. It may work for a round or maybe a day, but for the most part, they're going to revert back to what they were doing before. Because they can't so, feel it, right? Right. Cause they can't, they can't feel it or maybe they do feel it, but it's hard to make that connection between what you just did and the adjustment that you made, right? Because sometimes they'll make the adjustment and they'll hit the ball poorly. And then you're like square one, right? The first time they try to do something, okay, get your hands back earlier. The first time they do it, it may not be successful. And then they're like questioning it and they can't make that connection between what they did and the result. So trying to eliminate that and, allow them to feel it out on their own and, and try to feel it on their own is, is much more lasting. 